Who's mighty a fella from me she call a black rock? No. We don't have reason. Got the blood of a whole lot of that general strike in 1913. They were batting into the ground and rings out by the harsh police. I love going down, down the Tarcastle Street, looking down the river. Looking at the ships coming from all parts of the world. Hello and welcome back once again to Time Waves, our radio history of Dublin 4 uh, here on Rick Radio. My name's Turlock Kelly and we're going to be talking to you today about the rich sporting history of Ringsend Irish Town, specifically two of the great football clubs of Dublin that were birthed right here uh, in the heart of, of Ringsend, really. Um, and to do that, I have with me two lifelong fans of both clubs. We have a, a pair of Pauls in the studio. So first off, we have Paul. Paul Byrne, Shel- of, of, well, I'm going to say of Shelburne. <laughs> Hello. How's yep. things? Yeah, great. Uh, and we're also joined by Paul Clayton, a lifelong Rovers fan. Hello, how are you? Uh, and we'll be talking to the two lads about the, as I said, the rich and varied histories of, of both clubs that started out uh, right here in Ring's End in a couple of moments. But before we do that, uh, as usual, I'm just going to give you a, a quick uh, tour through decades past in this month, July, um, in the local area of Ringsend, Irish Town, Sandy Mount, the usual kind of catchment area we cover. Um, and the first story I'm going to bring you is we're going back 40 years to 1982. Uh, and if you've ever passed through Ringsend in, in either direction, you'll be very familiar with the old United Tramways Company power station, uh, which is now Windmill Lane Studios. Uh, at this time, it was facing demolition. Um, it had been disused for some time. It had been a Bovril factory for for a period of time. Um, um, it was purchased by the businessman Pat Quinn this month, uh, July in 1982. And he was talking about his, his grand plans to turn it into a, a Piero Club leisure and snooker centre, which ultimately he did. Um, and I believe, I believe uh, Hurricane Higgins himself was slated to be the the opening act uh, for the very first opening of that snooker uh, snooker hall. Uh, he was also hoping that Tony Gregory, who at the time was a very influential politician, would organise a ferry from Sheriff Street to bring customers uh, to the snooker hall. But I dare say that never happened. Um, we also have a slightly more sombre and, and tragic story uh, from July of 1952. Uh, at the time, Public lighting in Dublin wouldn't have been quite what, what it is today, and unfortunately, someone took a wrong turn, turn heading down to to Grand Canal Dock uh, and wound up uh, in Hanover Quay in the waters there. And uh, the gentleman, a gentleman called Desmond Earl was, the, or Desmond Earls was the driver of the car. Uh, he was safely fished out of the vehicle by um, two gentlemen called Patrick O'Connor and Michael Nugent from from Ringsend. But sadly, the, the passenger uh, James Byrne, who was just eighteen years old from Bath Avenue. He drowned uh, in the vehicle. And yeah, it might be a time if you're down that way just to remember him and his family and uh, the tragic end of his life, but also the heroism of Patrick O'Connor and Michael Nugent who uh, rescued rescued Desmond Earls uh, from the lock. And indeed, Patrick O'Connor had rescued, I believe, four people by this stage. So he was, uh, he was something of a local hero. Um, anyway, let's move on to what we've uh, what we've been joined by our two experts to discuss uh, here today. <laughs> uh, I might just start with you, Paul Clayton. Um, could you tell me a bit about your own history, your own family's history with Shamrock Rovers? Yeah, well, my father was a, a mad Shamrock Rovers supporter. Now, 
I was born into Rovers. Mm-hmm. Support Rovers all my life since 1950. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's when I started. And, and I got, grew, got a bit older, then I could go to the matches and all that myself. Like mm-hmm. That's my take on the Rovers. Right and, and yourself, Paul Byrne? Um, well, I I suppose um, from the time I was born, born into a Shelburne family, I suppose you could say I actually dribbled for Shelburne <laughs> um, as a baby. But um, my dad used to bring me to all the underage games uh, down in Orangetown Stadium and um, following the demise uh, of Shelburne Park, if you like, and when they moved off to Tolkien. But they were trying to actually build new stadium in Irishtown and that's where mm-hmm. I sort of fell in love with the Reds. I used to just love the red jersey and I used to go down and uh, early on Sunday morning looking at the underage, both the youth and the B matches. And then from that then I obviously went to start going to the League of Ireland. But obviously through the family, uh, they're all, you know, uh, everyone in the family is actually Shells fan. And mm-hmm. uh, you've got my dad's uncles played, uh, the Owens has played in 1906, um, the IFA Cup and Cup team. Um, my dad played for the B team as well, won a few medals, but sadly he got a bad knee injury when he was sort of late teens, so he never uh, played for the first team, much to his regret. And then um, my cousins Pat and uh, Terry Bourne played with Shelburne as well, and obviously Pat played with Rovers back in the 80s as mm-hmm. well, uh, played in Scotland, and obviously played, got eight international captain yep. with Jack Charlton. Uh, and my cousin Liam was heavily involved in the supporters club yeah, team. So you could actually say I'm just, I had no choice in the matter, really. <laughs> yeah, well, that's some family heritage. And obviously yeah. Pat probably won the one of the most talented players ever to play in the League of Ireland. Yeah, yeah he was. He was superb. Um, now, we all, Shelburne only got him at the latter end. He signed for Bowes in 1974 mm. with Jerry Ryan and Kevin Moran who played with the great Rangers team from Walkinstown. Mm. Um, they were a star-studded team. Obviously, those three players went on to play for Ireland as well. But uh, they were also sensational Gaelic players. And uh, much to my horror, my school team played against uh, uh, Drimna Castle. And we never even saw the ball, I think, for the whole game. <laughs> it was, we got a terrible hiding from them, you know. He always laughs about that when I mentioned <laughs> as well. You know. Well, Paul, uh, Paul Clayton, we, we, I suppose um, a lot of people would be aware that Rovers have kind of lived up to their name in, in recent decades. They've been all over Dublin. They've been Talca Park, Dalymount Park, and obviously so uh, embedded in Tala now. But so do you think people are, are aware even these days that, that Rovers are, are, you know, were founded in this area? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we kind of um, let everyone know where we're from. Mm-hmm. Like that's like... Even the signs we have of the cup finals, legends were born in Ring's End, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, uh, yeah, that's definitely they know what like. And we also played a home game down in Cork. I remember it, yeah, about 2004, wasn't it? Yeah, I saw a program <laughs> that, that game, <laughs> <laughs> and uh. Yeah, is there still kind of a strong Rovers support base here in, in Ringsend? We have the Pride of Ringsend Supporters Club, mm-hmm. run by Just, Justin Mason and Eddie Saul. Now, they're not moving out of the area, but they're still running the Supporters Club. Yeah. And there's a lot of, you know, like, there's a lot of support around. Not all of them are in the Supporters Club, but there's, there's a lot of support in Ringsend still, like, you know, on both sides. And that, that's pretty remarkable, isn't it? Given, yeah. given that they've been out of the area for, for so long. Is that family connections? or In some cases, yeah, there would mm-hmm. be family connections, but others just like... And the football that has improved in the League of Ireland over the last 20 years is unbelievable. They're great games now. They're not, they're not playing on muddy pitches anymore, you know? So. Mm-hmm. 
football is great now in the League of Ireland. Yeah. And uh, Paul Byrne, you, you, uh, you might just tell us a little bit about Shelburne's initial kind of uh, origins in, in this area. Yeah, well, um, they played all around Ringsend uh, in different places. And actually, in fact, they played at the back of the Havelock Square end, yeah, you, you know, the old Lansdowne Road end, if you like. Um, they also played over in where Crow Park is now, believe it or not. They, that used to be a community gr- ground as well. So they actually played, uh, they played bows there in the early uh, Lansdowne Cup final there as well. Um, also, uh, then we moved into Shelburne Park in 1913. They actually gave the name to the Shelburne Park, uh, the football club did. Mm. And of course, South Lots Road is only down the road from Shelburne Road, which is the origins of the club itself. And then you had um, the move, as you say, there were attempts then to buy it, but uh, Lord Pembroke, who was selling the ground at the time, was uh, looking for what was perceived to be too much money. And they decided then to buy the plot of land, the Irish Town Stadium, as it is now. Mm-hmm. And uh, subsequently became the um, owned by Dublin City Council or the old corporation, as it was in those days. But they spent a couple of years there and they put, spent a fortune putting a cinder track around. And then there was a lot of complaints then about the, the weather, you know, coming in from the sea and so on and so forth. They should have really built a stand rather than a cinder track. This was all uh, prompted by Morton, apparently, who was heavily involved in athletics, and then subsequently named the Morton Stadium. Mm-hmm. And then uh, from that end, he moved over to Tolkien, and they were there as tenants to Drumcondor Football Club for a long time. And then they moved back over to Harlow's Cross, and then there was the moves back and forward, and there was a number of games, even at Milltown as well, the old mm-hmm. Milltown. Um, a sad loss to League of Ireland too, Clemelure. Oh, Paul, elaborate. That was in oh, oh, probably too traumatized to talk about Milton. You're probably too traumatized to talk about Milton. It's the worst thing to happen yeah. Yeah. in the history of Rovers losing yeah. Milton. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fabulous place to go to a game. Even the away supporters love going to it, and the away team more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Because you could play football yeah. on that pitch, like you know. Yeah. But like once the Kilkines come in, we knew like the writing was on the wall that they were never there for the the long haul. Like mm-hmm. they seen some, they seen the bigger picture. Uh, and not to rub it in, but another of the of the grounds that Paul mentioned there, the Morton Stadium, was yet another ground that that, that played there. Oh, uh, that's actually we call that the San Siro Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the nickname we put on that, the San Siro. <laughs> is, has the support? No, is it still largely a, a South Side club? Would you say Rovers, given that they they did play on the North Side for such oh. a, a period of time? No, there's massive support on the North mm-hmm. Side for Rovers. We have a couple of supporters clubs from the North Side. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, loads from the north side. Like, yeah, a lot of the players are from that side of the city as well. Yeah. Like through the years, like I mean, Rovers' greatest player was born in uh, in the inner city. Frank O'Neill, mm-hmm. you know, Paddy Ambrose, you know, mm-hmm. that looks at him. Who would have been the the better players uh, who played for Rovers from this area of of, of Dublin? First of all, Jody Bourne, the goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have Sean Gannon now, Sean Cavanagh, Liam O'Brien, went on to play international football, played for Man United. Liam was from Ringsend, wasn't he? Yeah. 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 And then like, you have to go way back, Bob Fulham. In the, mm-hmm. A legendary figure, yeah. Yeah, Irish yeah Bob was a legendary figure. Like, and I think it was one time, I think it was 62, uh, now I stand to be corrected on this, Rovers players that were internationals. Mm-hmm. from this whole area now it could be a mix of shells as well because I know Fran Brennan 
Yeah. Uh, Albert Hannon, though, he didn't make international. No, he was a league. He actually yeah. made the mm-hmm. team all right. Plus underage. Yeah. Yeah, very good player too. And Paul, were there are there are there players from this area that made a, a particular mark with with Shelburne as well? Yeah. Well, going back even to Val Harris days, going back mm-hmm. to you know back to the nineteen you know early nineteen tens, you know around then eleven twelve, mm-hmm. and he was capped obviously by the Irish team, the IFA under mm-hmm. the IFA. He played. He was probably one of the oldest players to actually play for the Irish international team. The great Bill, Bill Lacey as well, and actually mm-hmm. played with uh, Liverpool. And uh, then you have, uh, as I said, there's a lot of other players like like what Paul mentioned as well. Some quite a few of them like Jody Bourne played with Shells as well. Uh, because in those days, an awful lot of players were actually moving around, particularly in the current crop, say, in the last, say, 30 years, and even in more recent times, a lot of the players probably have six, seven clubs under mm-hmm. um, their portfolio of clubs in the League of Ireland terms, and uh, which is sad to see, because obviously from a fan's point of view, you love to see players that have an affinity with the club, yeah. and enjoy playing with the club, and you don't predict the good players as well, aren't the great players, you mm-hmm. don't see them going off. Elsewhere, and I'm sure Paul would agree with that as well. Yeah. You just simply don't like it. Like for example, Stephen Gagan was one of our greats, but he also he won a league championship medal in '94. And then he, yeah. when he moved over to Tolka, I mean, there was an awful lot of ill feeling between both clubs. Yeah. Over it, you know, and we were, Alan, we were delighted and, again. And Alan Bourne, yeah, and Alan Bourne, yeah. 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 Well, that yeah. was that was a sorrow. Yeah, Alan yeah. So that, you know, yeah, when you have this transfer of players yeah. between clubs as well. Um, you know, it's it's disappointing from a fan's yeah. perspective. It's all, you know, I, I guess the consequence of the of the short term contracts you tend to get in in League of Ireland as well. Yeah. Um, professionalism as such, or certainly full time professionalism, has only really come in in the pretty recent past in the League of Ireland. Back in those days when Shells were playing out here, uh, like would those lads have been doing a day's work on on the docks or stuff like that before they played? Well, they would have been back yeah. in yeah. Like Shells tour were the first team in the south to turn professional, and actually. I believe in the whole island to turn professional back in 1906 but uh, a lot of them would have been only part time uh, they would have been still training in the evening times working during the course of the day but they would have been getting paid and then of course there's a great story about Brian Lennon the uh, former minister uh, in when Charlie Hoyt was Taoiseach uh, Brian also played with us back in the 50s and mm. uh, Brian was an amateur at the time and when he came out of the shower apparently he found five pounds in a boot his boot, <laughs> and he picked her up out of the boot and actually was asking the lads in the dressing rooms, you know, does someone lose a fiver, you know? And everyone turned away from him. And then the following week, the same thing happened again. Of course, subsequently, as he said himself, helped to put him through college. <laughs> but he was supposed to be an amateur, you know? And I, yeah. I, I believe the same thing used to happen at Bowles as well, back when they were supposedly an amateur club <laughs> up until the 60s. <laughs> it, it happened at all clubs. Even, it's happening more so now with junior football. Yes, yeah. But it's definitely, oh, that was it. Regularly, you know, you come in, as I say in the show, you come out, 10, 20 quid, and you're, yeah. <laughs> why yeah. not? Yeah, when you think about it, five pounds back in the 50s then, was a yeah. lot of money for a young lad. Mm-hmm. A lot of money, the, you know? There was a great story years ago about t- John Heavey, your goalkeeper, yes, yeah. local lad, mm-hmm. Bobby Gilbert, another local lad. The two of them went up to St. Patrick's Athletic. Got a signing on fee of ten bob each, <laughs> and Evie being the madman he is, brought Gilbert down to the slot machines and he lost the ten bob each. <laughs> <laughs> 
just to, to go back to the, the question I asked, I asked Paul, like shells have been kind of rooted in, in Jumkondra now for, for quite a period of time. Mm-hmm. Is, is there still kind of a strong support base in this area or on the south side uh, generally? There would be, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of guys from the south. You know, even, mm-hmm. even where I am, you know, I live in Rialto and there'll be a lot of guys in around that area, even though Pat's like to think it's their domain. But uh, in actual fact, there's quite a few of them all along Kildare Road, um, up to Crumlin Road and so on. You see, because they're relatively new estates, when you think about it, you know, going mm-hmm. back, they're only built around the 40s, 50s. So when families moved out of the area, they were moving out of the likes of Rings End and Irish Town and Sandymount, and you're moving forward to the field. But it's sort of been handed down from generations. Like, for example, a few lads now I give a lift to... Um, around to the away games in particular um, their mother was actually steeped in Shelburne her family were all steeped in Shelburne but they moved up to Kimmage then so mm-hmm. you know but they still they would obviously still go around the Shells fans and uh, so and they enjoy it but they'd, they'd head over to Tolka obviously mm-hmm. um, and there'd be a lot of other pl- people like that as well as I say around the area you know but it, there's no doubt in the last say 30 years because of the success going back to when we moved over to 89, 90 and the success down in the 90s and so on following on um, when we took over Tolka it was um, the the build up of fans around the place like Donna Mead now will have a huge amount mm-hmm. uh, of fans there as well you know so there's no doubt about it we made our, uh, a huge imprint on the north side particularly on, on the east side of the north side Um and then uh, there's quite a lot of fans from Finglas and even Cabra, even though yeah. that would be again Bowes area. Mm-hmm. But I, I think, like like Shells, Bowes and, and Rovers, um, I think it's nearly the whole city where you'd have fans, you know. They're, they're, yeah. they're, they, they, they left, like as Paul alluded to earlier on, you'd have a lot of fans from a lot of different areas that would actually follow the respective teams. And a lot of that could be down to families just moving into respective areas. Mm-hmm. But the hand down is still there, you know. Yeah. Like I had no choice really. You know? <laughs> uh, speak, uh, I'm second generation Rovers. My son's a third. Mm-hmm. And I have a grandson now. He's a fourth generation. And he's a body farmer. Yeah. 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 Like it is a generational thing and family thing, you know. Yeah, and as Paul said, there's there's been so much kind of churn, I suppose, in terms of families moving around over the past 50 years yeah. uh, with the building of new estates and everything like that. Well, yeah. that slick of Ireland, it gets yeah. into your system and stay forever, no matter where you go. Yeah. You could go to the mill tomorrow and you'd still want to know the results, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, you, were, you were never kind of discouraged during those very, very bleak years when, when Rovers didn't have a home and didn't have much success? Not one little bit. Mm-hmm. It was very hard, mm-hmm. but not, no, never. we were never beaten. We were never beaten. Mm-hmm. We weren't going to be beaten. Um, the supporters at the time was unbelievable, saving that club, you know? Yeah. And we weren't just, never just hurt, very hurt. Well, we were never beaten and we were never going to be disheartened. Yeah, yeah. and and they turned things around uh, very impressively. And flourishing in Tala now. Oh, Tala's mm-hmm. fantastic place, Tala. They've got to a match. A fabulous stadium, fabulous mm-hmm. atmosphere. Everything about it is running right, the stewarding, the policing and all. It's fantastic mm-hmm. up there, yeah. like, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just asked Paul Burns. Well, um, shells have been as are as have been in Tolka Park probably now as long as they were they were anywhere else almost. Uh, yes, that's right. Do you have like a, a sentimental attachment to Tolka Park now? Would you like to see I them do, stay yeah. in the stadium? Yeah, oh, definitely. I mm-hmm. mean, they. I mean, the lads behind it saved Tolka Park uh, was an incredible. Just it was an incredible movement. I had loads of momentum. 
uh, and from many different sources as well, both not only from the fan base, but within the local community as well, because they obviously didn't want to see seven or eight, nine storey uh, buildings going up right in an area where you only had two storey houses effectively, and uh, which would have been a crazy development. And mm-hmm. plus all the other chaos that would have brought in terms of um, infrastructural issues as well, particularly with parking, particularly with um, a lot of um, moving in and out of work and so on and so forth, you know, with extra vehicles on the road. and So there was an awful lot of buy-in from the community, particularly with the plans that were actually a number of people put in place regarding the, you know, the developments, the long term and what we could actually do to, to um, bring Talca Park up to um, a certain level. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that has been achieved and the decision by Dublin City Council there in recent months there in early May and actually it was the day before my birthday so early mm-hmm. May so it was actually a fantastic birthday present it's probably the best one I've had for a long long time mm-hmm. <laughs> I better not say that to the family after <laughs> <laughs> oh, not listening um, you'll end up with a great and worse scarf on your next birthday <laughs> I could end up <laughs> running out of the house but um, yeah it was just a, it was a fantastic that weekend was marvellous and then we had a great win as well on the Friday night and then on the Saturday the women's team won as well so it was a wonderful weekend for the club all round mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we're just looking forward to now to the next phase, which is really to link in with Dublin City Council and see where what else we can actually do. And I just heard um, there the other day with regard to, to an engineer's report that you know phase one could be up to five and a half thousand now very quickly um, because you're only replacing what's currently yeah, required yeah. there. So there's no planning permission required. And then phase two then would be get up to uh, nine and a half thousand. Which would be yeah, fantastic. Be a very impressive Mario. facility if it happens. Yeah, it would be, you know. Uh, just to pull it back slightly from from rovers and shells. When, when you guys were growing up here, was was there a a big sporting culture in the, in the area at the time across all sports? Oh yeah, well, like you had both the Mondras down here. You know, um, yeah, I, I, I used to manage schoolboys team there. Didn't play it for me there as well, um, but. Um, yeah, it was a, uh, you had the GAA club, Clannagale Fondalai, you know. Mm-hmm. I think there was a, not a, a running club, Harriers or something. Mm-hmm. Now, there was loads of sport. Yeah. Like when we grew up as kids, anyway, that's all it was was sport. There was never that else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was course, kicking yeah. the ball yeah. every morning, yeah. and night. You and know. of course, you had Half Moon there as well. Swimming club, the, the swimming down, there. Yeah. and then of course you had the uh, the great rowing clubs in the area the too. Rungs, yeah, the Stella you know, and the Pats. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And do you think that's that's changed over recent decades? Um, there's still... Oh, I know, like, for example, Jerry Brannock now would be a great Shells fan, but he's still heavily involved in the rowing. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I believe he still goes out rowing. Um, Jerry's, yeah, he's an amazingly fit guy. Like, Jerry's probably mid-70s now, but oh, he's, he's still... He's still mm-hmm. Is he older again? He's but, older. Uh, yeah, sorry, days. Jerry. We're just. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I, look, I, look. He looks superbly fit. He still, he still looks great, and he goes out rowing regularly, as far as I know. Still, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so a great, yeah, yeah, sporting heritage to draw on. Yeah. Um, like obviously, there's some there's some fantastic junior and intermediate clubs in, in the area as well. Um, do you think Ringsend Irish Town could potentially sustain a, a League of Ireland club again? No, no, I don't see it. Yeah, it's it's actually hard to see where they're going to play, mm-hmm. and I think you do need to have a base, you know, a, a permanent base. But like with Shelburne Park now being built on quite a bit as well, 
and there's not even enough room there yeah, now to right. even put a you know a pitch within the running track itself uh, and it's very hard to see where it would go like even Irish Town Stadium now is that area you know yeah. the stadium itself is uh, being restricted as well with this size yeah it's not right the house is built all around it well, uh, no. see I find now with a lot of the junior football years ago you, there was too much rivalry mm. to get together and form a team it was not going to be a rings end united <laughs> something like that would have been because like, yeah. if you weren't getting your game at the CY you go down to what you call them Hoganville Okay, where yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Then, like, that's the yeah. way they all moved yeah. around like then, yeah. you know. And that's yeah. understandable. Clubs yeah. develop so their own identities. Yeah. Yeah. An established yeah. team in Rings yeah. Yeah. If you, if you yeah. go over to Germany, um, every small town in Germany has maybe one big area that would actually house a lot of different sports, and mm-hmm. all the community, each community buys into that with a number of different sports. So it's easier to actually maintain and so on. So although they have their um, independence. But it's actually within an overall sports uh, federation, if you like. And uh, that lends itself to actually getting a lot of things done quicker than it would be if you just had independent clubs doing their own thing, doing their own fundraising, trying to maintain their own pitches and so on and so forth. So unfortunately, we have a model in in Ireland now where you have the GAA uh, would be very independent of other sports. Likewise with the um, rugby, the same with the football. Um, and it's very hard to see that all come together. Now, to a certain extent, the Aviva has actually, uh, and in the old days of Lansdowne, the old Lansdowne was actually where you brought the international teams to actually use the Aviva and the old Lansdowne road. Yeah. But um, to all intents and purposes, it's still very much a self-interest, mm-hmm. I think, with regard to sports. Yeah. Why do you think that this this area did uh, was the breeding ground for, for two massive clubs like Shells and Rovers back at the turn of the century? Really? Yeah, it's, it's like a lot of rivalry. One sort of, the rivalry actually helps you know to develop another club I think if you look at say even just look take, looking at um, say the likes in Glasgow uh, the rivalry with Celtic and Rangers has actually helped each other mm-hmm. you know grow as uh, huge clubs absolutely massive clubs and I think the rivalry within Ringsend Irishtown Sandymount for yeah. Shells uh, Rovers would actually help that as well they actually helped each other to grow um, and make the clubs bigger as well you know I know yeah. back in the day my father when he was a Rovers supporter and all, he used to say the build up to the matches Rovers and Shells Shells Rovers started on Friday night in the pubs mm-hmm. I said there was great fierce rivalry there you know and yeah. there'd be another <laughs> yeah. now and again from and like but that's where it was and like and, why did why did you got so good? There was nothing else really. Like, yeah, you, like, that, that's you true. were you were rolling in the summer. Right? You couldn't roll in the winter, so you were football in, yeah. in the winter. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, so, that's true. Very very so, true. You know, so yeah. But as, as, as you say, and the facilities weren't there for a lot of other things that we have, like tenpin bowling and badminton and squash. They were unheard of in those mm-hmm. days as well. Yeah. Maybe in Sandyland. Yeah. Sandyland. Yeah. 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 No. Mm. So, so I, I know there's been kind of a, an attempt recently to sort of rekindle Shell's Rovers as, as a big kind of rings and derby game. Uh, who would you like? Is Bowes Rovers still the, the overwhelming rivalry to you, or would you say you still get up for the Shell's games as much? Asking me personally, Shamrock Rovers versus Shelbourne is the game for me. Mm-hmm. This Bowes thing only come in yeah. the, the latter years. 
and it's not nice what's coming yeah. through yeah. on both sides. Yeah, not mm-hmm. nice. But now Rovers and Shells for me any day. That's the most important game of the season for me. How about yourself? Huh? I, I would agree with that. Um, I, I I've spoken to a lot of older fans about this, and uh, they, they would exactly what Paul is saying. Do you echo what Paul is saying in relation to the Rovers bowls? It's only been it's in the last 20, 25 years. Prior to that, it was always Shells and Rovers was the big derby in the in the League of Ireland, and I think with. With the emergence of Shelburne at the moment, I mean, things are flying in the club, both on the academy side, the women's side, and I think with the senior team as well, and the men's side with uh, Duff uh, in charge, I think Shells are going to be a coming force now. I really do believe that in the next two or three years. I was saying to Paul earlier on, I'm very confident that we're going to actually have a a nice run into the end of the season. We've got some fine young players coming through, Mm -hmm. and they're playing well, and I think they're growing in confidence as well that they can actually do it at the level. And, and this young lad, uh, uh, Jad Hakiki, is going to be something else. Uh, and I'm delighted to hear there just in the last few weeks that we've actually signed a number of these young lads on two and three year contracts, which is brilliant. Oh, it's great mm-hmm. news. Yeah, it's, great yeah, news. it's a great departure because we lose so many players to, oh, to, to yeah. foreign clubs. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, and so cheaply too. Mm-hmm. You know? But as Paul was saying there, like, there is probably there's an edge to, to Bowles Rovers. There seems like there's a more respectful rivalry between. Between shells and rovers, like you, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be throwing dart or throwing darts at, at the shell uh, at the rovers' I crest. Though I, I think a lot of that is down to as well. Like I, I like Paul didn't recognise me, but I recognised Paul mm-hmm. when he came in. Uh, I've known Paul going back about 20, 25 years, yeah. and uh, like that as well. A lot of shells rovers fans, you know, being from the area and they know mm-hmm. one another, and then of course you're mixing the job and everything else. So it's. Although the rivalry is there, there's a lot of respect there as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Both sets of fans, and really, um, just any incidents have been so, and far between. Thankfully, sometimes I go to the Tiger Park of Rovers. Say I couldn't get to a Rovers game when you were away or something. I go to the Tiger Park. Yeah, the amount of people I know up in Tiger and the nicest people in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, respect to Bear Michelle once about us. I treated like the Lord yeah, Mayor. Yeah. <laughs> like when we were having difficulties back in the 70s as well, and this was to be remembered, like we played out of Milltown. Yeah. And, uh, which, which was great because otherwise we probably would have folded. We were having terrible problems late 70s. And likewise, when Rovers were struggling, they ended up, you know, when coming out of Milltown, they were playing over at um, Tulk as well. And Ollie Bourne went to a great extent to actually facilitate Rovers as much as possible in mm-hmm. so many ways, you know. And I'm sure Paul will back that up, you know. Because Ollie recognised that we all need one another, you know. Yeah. The rivalry's there, but we need one another, you know. If there's no rivalry there, you know, it's you don't attract... You don't certainly attract the big crowds. Yeah, you know? very, a very, very complicated figure, Ollie. He wasn't, he wasn't what he was painted by a lot of fans. Really, he, no. there was another side to him. I, I oh, always yeah. no, it, he was an amazing guy, yeah. and we all had uh, one ends with him, and I had one ends with him. Uh, you know, <laughs> his love Ollie, for the league and the club was amazing. Was married to Shelburne Club. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was no two ways about it. Shelburne yeah. Club was everything, yeah. and yeah. everything after that was second. Yeah, but as Paul said. He needed drivers for the rivalry, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, he needed chance for the rivalry. We all need one another yeah, at the yeah. end of the day. But Ollie's t- totally made the Shelbourne he was. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and I think a lot of fans probably uh, could empathise with that. Uh, yeah. We're, we're going to wrap up now in, the, in a moment, but I'm just going to ask you both: like, if someone came along and said, "I'm going to wipe all your memories, but you can keep one memory of Rovers of a Rovers <laughs> game," what would you keep? Oh, jeez, you have to put me on the spot here now. Any particular game? Oh, Jesus, I just... 
so many to choose yeah. 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 N- Not the six four in century, obviously. Did he mention that? Pat Dane said that. Yeah. Just when he ruined your night. Yeah, ruined your night, Paul. Yeah. Roddy was great. And Sparky yeah. was playing that night as well and yeah. scored. Yeah. Uh, I would imagine the Celtic game in the European Cup. That was a great occasion. Mm-hmm. And then there was another very weird one when we played Linfield. Ah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was, yeah. There was supposed to be no away supporters at that game. Mm-hmm. But you were letting in. It was easier for the police to let them in than have them out in the streets. That was that was scary. That'll be someone to live live over for sure. Yeah. yeah. How about yourself, Paul? Would it be the Champions yeah, League I, run? Yeah, like Paul, I've wonderful memories of so many different occasions. But I think I think winning the league up in Dundalk in '92, um, I, it was the first time in thirty mm-hmm. years. It was amazing, and Brian Flood's goal that time. It was probably still sailing over the mountains of Moore now. There had been no net. It was a rocket from about thirty five yards. Yeah, that was a sensational night. And actually, fact, it was a sensational week, two weeks, maybe three weeks. Mm-hmm. And that was just brilliant. Yeah, that was that was brilliant. And of course, the following year when we won the cup again for the first time in 30 years, you know, it was just, mm-hmm. again, magical time. And of course, my cousin Pat was actually player manager and manager, that, you know, which was wonderful. So mm-hmm. it was a great family connection as a result of that. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that would be, that would make things particularly special, I imagine. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah. And yeah, is do you still see Pat at games at all? Is he still? Oh yeah, got, yeah, I was in touch with him there a couple of weeks ago. We were supposed mm-hmm. to link in at uh, the Tala match there, and unfortunately, between between one okay. team and another, I couldn't uh, couldn't link up. But we spoke about it over the weekend, you know. Yeah. <laughs> 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 We're just having some fun here in the studios <laughs> as we wrap up. Um, <laughs> okay, chaps, thanks so much for coming in. And uh, it's great to hear that, that Rovers and Shells are, are both so uh, held in such esteem still in the community by so many people. And hopefully that will continue for many years to come. Um, yeah, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can reach us at rickradio2020 at gmail.com. We'll be back again next month. Um, thanks so much to Dylan Clayton and uh, Mick Hanley in the studio as well. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time on Time Waves. Would you invite a fella from Inchy Call or Black Rock? No. We don't have reasons. Got the blunt of a whole lot of that general strike in 1913. They were batting into the ground and rings down by the harsh police. I love going down, down the Tarcastle Street, looking down the river, looking at the ships coming from all parts of the world.